I love the title and the strap line for this series that we're doing at the moment, The Holy Spirit, God's Promised Presence and Power. I think that's great, actually. Don't we need it? Um, and this morning, I'm going to speak about the Holy Spirit, God's promised presence and power in the workplace, uh, in our workplaces. And so hopefully this is going to um, be relevant for many of us here this morning. And I want to start by telling you a story, but by way of introduction first, I just need to tell you that I'm a doctor. Um, I trained in medicine in Aberdeen University. I graduated in medicine in 1984, which feels like sort of prehistoric times for most of you, I know. Um, And uh, that was where I met my wife, Fiona. We got married. I worked as a junior doctor in Aberdeen for three years. And then we moved to Manchester, where I did a second degree and uh, trained as a hematologist, and that means blood diseases. And so I was sort of um, aiming to be a specialist, a hospital specialist. Um, And then, uh, after eight years in Manchester, um, we moved to Edinburgh, and I became a consultant haematologist here at the Western General uh, Hospital. And, um, in fact, I specialised even more. And uh, I specialised in the treatment of malignant haematological diseases such as leukaemia, myeloma, and bone marrow transplants, all that sort of stuff. Um, So, sort of a tough part of medicine. Um, And some of the stories I'm going to tell you today are from that area. And so, sorry, um, some of this stuff could be a little bit sad. Indeed, the story I'm going to tell you is a little bit sad. And it concerns an elderly lady who had a blood test by her GP, and it showed that she had leukaemia. And so she came into our hospital. And um, I went and looked at her blood test and her bone marrow test and found out exactly what type of leukemia she had. And unfortunately, the type of leukemia she had and the age she was and and the situation meant that this was totally not a curable disease. And um, I went up to the ward to speak with her about this situation. And from my office to our ward, there's a sloping corridor downhill. That was my prayer corridor. And I prayed as I went to see this lady. And I just prayed, God, give me your grace and your kindness as I speak to this lady. Give me wisdom. Give me clarity. And I prayed in tongues as I walked down that corridor. And then I went up to the ward. And I got one of our junior doctors. And I went and sat with this lady. And I explained to her that she had leukemia. And... Unfortunately, this was not going to be a curable disease. And eventually, it would catch up with her, and she would die from it. And we spoke about the situation. And I should just say that in this situation, I would have estimated that her lifespan would be something maybe some weeks or a small number of months. Leukemia is a terrible disease. And um, I spoke to her about this. And then I stopped, and I said, do you have any questions you want to ask me? And she said, will St. Peter be at the pearly gates when I get there? Now, I have to say, that was not the question I expected (laughs) in that situation. 
But I heard what she was saying, and I said, goodness, I see from that question that you're a Christian. And I want you to know I'm a Christian too. And I think you will be there when you get there. And I start with that story because I hope it illustrates some of what we're going to be talking about. I hope it illustrates three things particularly. Prayerfulness in the workplace. Listening to the Spirit and seizing the opportunities that he gives us. And that our testimony is powerful. And we come back to those as we, as we go forward. So, how do we see God's promised presence and power uh, in our lives at work? Well, we need to just take a little step back for a moment because we've got to be born again. We've got to know the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior in our hearts. Um, um, indeed, actually, the Holy Spirit is critical to leading us to that position, each one of us. Um, for me, that happened when I was 12. Uh, I was in school, primary, uh, end of primary school, and uh, I went to a scripture union camp. Uh, I went there because I thought it sounded quite fun. I didn't come from a Christian family or um, uh, have a particularly religious background. Um, and when I was there, we had, they had meetings in the evenings, and this chap explained the gospel to us. He explained that sin separated us from God, that Jesus came to forgive that sin, and that he wanted to be our friend and our savior. Um, I was an easy fish to catch because I thought that sounded fantastic. And I became a Christian that very camp. Um, and that was how it started. Uh, I'm very grateful to that man who preached the gospel to me. It's very interesting. He phoned me two days ago. He's now 82, and we were able to speak to each other and just share fellowship together. Thank you to him for doing that. And I, just as an aside, if anyone's doing Scripture Union camps or Youth Ocean Trust camps or sailing camps or any other youth Christian organizations, maybe this summer, great. Um, uh, thank you for preaching the gospel to young people. It's brilliant. Secondly, we do need to be filled with the Spirit um, uh, to see God's promised presence and power moving in our workplace. And I'm going to tell you my testimony, and I know some people have heard this testimony already. Um, but I told you I became a Christian at 12, but then second year of university in Aberdeen, um, and I was quite involved in Bible study groups at university. I lived in a hall of residence. And, but I'm afraid I felt slightly um, um, as if there was something more. I felt a bit sort of deficient in my Christian faith. And actually, it felt very much like my Christian faith was all head knowledge. And I only grew as a Christian by learning something new, like a new fact. Um, and I felt a bit dissatisfied about that, actually. And there were sort of charismatic Christians, you know what I'm talking about, these freaky ones that I thought were, were, uh, were in the university at that time. But I have to say there was a little bit of resistance in my heart to this. Um, but yet I saw in them something that looked very real and something sort of actually I wanted but was suspicious of. 
And it all came to head, and I'm going to cut the story short, but it all came to head one Sunday evening when I felt I've really got to pray to God about this. I really felt I needed to do business with God. And I put a do not disturb notice on my, my door of the hall of residence. I pulled a chair out and knelt at the chair. I opened my Bible to Acts chapter 2. And I read about the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. And I prayed to God, God, would you fill me with your spirit like that? And I want to speak in tongues. And I opened my mouth and I thought I might not be able to speak English for a little bit. And sort of nothing happened. And I thought, okay, read the Bible again, prayed again. God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And I want to speak in tongues. And I opened my mouth and a word came out. It wasn't English, but it didn't feel real. And I thought, maybe I've not done it right. I'll do it a third time. So I read the Bible again, prayed again. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I want to speak in tongues. And I opened my mouth again. And a couple of words came out. They weren't English, but, but it didn't feel like it. By this time, it was getting late. And I went to bed very disappointed. And at three o'clock in the morning, I woke up. And I was bubbling with just this strange feeling of joy, an amazing feeling of joy. It was as if I was so joyful I couldn't stay asleep. It was an amazing feeling. I thought, goodness me, I sat up in bed. Maybe something has happened. Um, and again, I opened my mouth thinking I'd love to speak in tongues. And I sort of said a few words wasn't just so sure, went back to sleep. Four o'clock, woke up again, still bubbling. Five o'clock, woke up again, still bubbling. And uh, I sort of, I floated into university that day, actually. I'm not sure I listened to the lectures very much. Came back. All I wanted to do was speak with some of these charismatic Christians. I just wanted to speak to them about what had happened. And I went and spoke to them, told them that story I've just told you. They actually, one of them said, Peter, those words you're saying, that's tongues. And suddenly it started, and I just could just, it just started happening. Um, and you know, that experience, when I tell that experience, the danger of this is people think, well, everyone has to have the same experience. That's totally not the case. But what I say is we do need the channels for the flow of the Spirit to be open in our hearts. Um, and that's what I would encourage you. It happens differently for lots of different people. Um, but we need those channels to be open. For me, that experience really changed my life, actually. Um, I, I, opened the, I felt every time I opened the Bible, goodness me, is this the same Bible I read before? It felt like the Holy Spirit sort of animated it for me. Um, completely different. Um, I experienced a total joy in God's creation that I'd never experienced before. It's never left me. Um, I used to get a bit depressed sort of midterm every, I, I don't know, student blues or whatever it was. I've never had that before, uh, since. Um, it was a, an amazing thing. And thirdly, we need to be being filled daily, don't we? Constantly. Um, uh, the, Josh, can we have the first one? Um, Ephesians 5, verse 18, everyone knows this verse. Do not get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And that word filled, it's in, in the Greek, it's in this present imperative tense, which, which implies this continuing or continuous or ongoing filling with the Spirit. People translate it as instead be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and how do we do that? How do we, how do we daily be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, I actually think this is where we do. We need to read scripture. We need to grow in that love for the Bible and ask God to speak to us through his word, through prayer, and through devotional times, through meditation, through worship, through gathering together with other Christians and having fellowship together and speaking in tongues. They're all ways in which we are sort of opening our hearts to the presence and the empowering of God's Holy Spirit. Um, And we need to do that all the time. And there will be manifestations of that in our lives. For some, there will be gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we've heard about those in this series. Um, Some people may see vision or receive dreams from the Lord, words of knowledge. Some people will speak in tongues, prophetic words. Some people will be given faith to pray for particular situations. Um, The Holy Spirit may speak through our consciences about our behavior or our attitudes. I think the Holy Spirit reveals truth in the Bible. It's almost as if the Bible becomes animated and under the, the sort of the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may guide our paths. Uh, many of us look for guidance. And I'm going to give you an illustration of one time this happened for us. Fiona and I were in Aberdeen, and we felt that our time in Aberdeen was coming to an end. Um, and um, we were praying regularly about this. Um, Uh, And we were just asking, Lord, please guide our paths. And at this point, a job came up in Manchester. um, And we felt we really needed to pray about this. And so we did. And as we were praying, Fiona, just this phrase came into her mind. The phrase was, lowing as they went. Now, here's a Bible quiz for you folks. Who knows where lowing as they went comes In the Bible, it is in the Bible. We had to look it up. I'm sure you would too. It's a very funny story. It's 1 Samuel chapter 6. And it's the story when the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. And they took it to one of the Philistine cities. And the people in that city got tumors and started to die. And so they took the Ark. They they got a bit freaked by this. They took the Ark to a different second city. Same thing happened there. And they took it to a third city. And the same thing happened there. And so the people called together the Philistine priests and diviners, and they asked them, are we getting these tumors because the Ark of the Covenant is, is here in this city, or is it just coincidence? And the diviners said, okay, this is what to do. Put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, yoke the cart with two cows that have just had calves, Pen up the calves and then let it go and see what happens. 
And they said if it goes to Israel, the tumors are happening because we've got the ark. And if not, it's coincidence. And it records in that story that the cows went straight to Israel, but lowing as they went. And the lowing was the sadness that they felt at leaving behind their calves. But yet, it was right that the Ark of the Covenant went back to Israel. It went to Beth Shemesh in that story. And Fiona and I just felt powerfully from that sort of story in that Bible verse. That was exactly the situation we were in. We were so connected in Aberdeen. We loved the things there, but we felt it was right to go to Manchester, and so it turned out to be. Um, so I think the Holy Spirit can guide us wonderfully um, uh, when we're open to him. Um, the Holy Spirit can give us particular wisdom or insight for situations. I'm going to move on. I was going to tell you a story there from Fiona's work at Harriet Watt University, but I think we need to keep moving. And I think also the Holy Spirit just can... I don't know, let us live more and more in the joy of the Lord, um, the joy of his creation. But what might hinder the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Um, Callum last Sunday uh, was telling us not to get in the way of the Lord working in our lives. Do you remember? Um, and unfortunately, one of the big ones that can affect God's Holy Spirit working in our lives is our sinfulness. King David knew this very well. Uh, um, after he committed adultery, Josh, we could go to the Psalm 51 verse. After he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he sort of anguished in prayer in, in Psalm 51, didn't he? Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And I want to show you a video. Fiona and I were just recently in Chile uh, for quite a long holiday. And I want to show you a video. And this video really spoke to me about the effect of sin in our lives. Um, you're going to see a, 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 the confluence of two rivers. One of them is Rio Baker, which is a huge river. And it flows clear and blue. It's absolutely an amazingly beautiful river. And you're going to see the confluence of uh, the Rio Neff, joining the Rio Baker, which is a tiny little river, I don't know, 20th of the size of the Rio Baker. Uh, and the Rio Neff flows directly out of a glacier. So it's full of glacial silt. And um, it's sort of brownie gray. And the rivers come together. And I want you to look at what happens to the color of the water when the two rivers come together. Josh, should we play that video? This is the Rio Baker on the right. And that's the Rio Neff just coming in. I hope you can see those colors, actually. They don't show so well. What you, what you maybe can see, though, is the whole water goes gray um, when that Rio Neff joins in. And what that said to me is, a steady flow of sinfulness in our lives can, however good the rest of our lives may be, can have a really big effect on the presence of power and the Holy Spirit in our lives.
And finally, the writer to the Hebrews knew this message very well as well. And uh, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it's verse 1, Josh, um, the writer to the Hebrews says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Um, the writer to the Hebrews sees here that sin entangles us. But look at the other one, everything that hinders as well. And those everything that hinders could be in themselves nothing wrong. For example, sports or hobbies, money, ambition, work, even family and friends. But when those things become so paramount in our lives that they usurp that open-heartedness I was just mentioning, their effect becomes just as strong as those flows of sinfulness. It's quite interesting. There's the 19th century famous Bible teacher, D.L. Moody, spoke of this as well. Josh, let's put this up. I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and self-seeking and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Ghost will come and fill every corner of our hearts. But if we're full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he's already full with something else. Before we pray that God would fill us, I believe we ought to pray him to empty us. There must be an emptying before there can be a filling. Let's move on. So, we love the Lord Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We're full of the Spirit, and we're seeking to be open-hearted to him and filled with the Spirit every day. And now it's Monday morning, and we're at work in the hospital, in the classroom, in the office, in the team meeting, in the university lecture theater, wherever it is. Um, and uh, we're taking the words of Jesus seriously. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl, nor under the bed. You put it on a lampstand. We're wanting to be salt and light at work. Um, so what would this look, it look like? And I'm wanting at this point to return to those points I made about the lady with leukemia. And first of all, I want to encourage us to be prayerful at work. And by prayerful, I don't mean sort of sitting in a room, closing the door, putting your hands together and praying sort of for 15 minutes, whatever it is. I mean all the time, under your breath, along the corridor uh, that I spoke to you about. Dara worked with us um, uh, a year ago or so in our ward. And I have to say, I loved having Dara work with us. It was great. Dara and I were sort of in the same spirit, weren't we? And Dara, we loved, we did it together, didn't we, as we walked along the corridors. And we just prayed. It wasn't like a prayer meeting. We just said, God, this is going to be a difficult consultation. Can you just help us? It was lovely, wasn't it? Um, I used triggers to help me in those situations, like that corridor. That was my prayer corridor. Um, I don't know what your triggers might be. Oh, I always walk along Lothian Road when I go to the office. Lothian Road, make it your prayer road. Um, some people set their mobile phones to prompt them on this as well. Secondly, 
listen to the spirit, be open to creating opportunities and seize the opportunities when they come. Um, and I, so many of the consultations I had with patients and actually with other people, students or colleagues, but many patients I'm going to speak to you about. Often I might be speaking to patients about difficult situations like that lady I spoke to you about. Quite often we'd be, in the context of that, we'd be talking about their family or how they approach death. Uh, because some of these diseases are serious diseases. And often I would ask them, are you religious at all? That was the sort of just a gentle question to try and ask if that was something that was important in their lives and, or not. And I have to say, I've had all manner of responses to that question. Some people say, oh, it's a load of rubbish. I'm totally not. Um, or, well, my granny was was a very devout lady, but it's not for me. Or, I went to Sunday school when I was a youngster, but I'm not interested anymore. Folks, they're closing down the conversation. You can't take it any further. That's it. But the number of times that, that just that little question opened up um, aspects of, um, well, goodness, from what you're saying to me, I maybe need to think about this. Or... Yes, I am a Christian and I go to church regularly and I'm going to get my small group at church praying for me. Um, and, you know, when the patient gives you that permission and it becomes a consensual conversation, um, then it's wonderful, the fellowship and, and what we can speak about in that situation. And then thirdly, your testimony is powerful. I think in work situations, I'm not always sure that a deep theological sort of treatise is, the, is what we're really needing. But your testimony is powerful. Yes, I'm a Christian. Or what did you do on Sunday? Oh, I went to church. Or uh, Raf, we, we noticed this this week. I don't know if you noticed it. Raf and I were fishing earlier this week. And, uh, and we were talking to two colleagues, weren't we, and, at lunchtime. And I just said, Raf and I know each other because we go to the same church. Um, just little things like that. Now, they didn't pick it up, did they? But um, they know we're Christians. Um, uh, now, I think some of you may be thinking, but Peter, there's, there's an elephant in the room. Uh, you're not addressing it. And that elephant is, I work in a work environment where I'm not allowed to speak about my faith. And actually, I just quickly want to address this. Um, and it's certainly correct that we mustn't be strident or bullying or harassing or um, sort of oppressive in our, our conversations at work. But I do want to just pick up the sort of almost like the legislative framework that we, we all work in, actually. And then I'm going to illustrate it with medicine and particularly, actually, palliative care, just for a couple of minutes. First of all, ACAS. Um, is the, they now know it by the acronym only, but it's the Advisory Consultation and Arbitration Service. Uh, I don't know if you remember that from days of old. And um, Josh, can we go to their website? Um, this is the ACAS website. And Josh, go to the next slide, because they've produced this document. And this document is very widely quoted in this area. It's to do with religion or belief discrimination and key points of the workplace. And actually, most of the document concerns 
discrimination against people on the basis of religion. But there's one section, Josh, go to the next slide. Um, uh, this is the scope of the document, which covers pretty much everyone, employers, managers, HR professionals, employees, trade unions, representatives, job applicants. I think that's everybody, actually. And the next one, Josh, is the bit, there's a section in this document about talking about religion or belief at work. And um, it says an employer should try to make its workplace inclusive so employees do not put at a disadvantage a colleague who may be different from them because of, for example, their religion or belief. This means an employer should not try to ban outright discussion of religion or belief at work. However, an employer may be able to justify some restrictions for reasons such as protecting the rights of others, protecting the firm's reputation, or, and this is the important one, I guess, preventing a figure of authority forcing their personal views on others. For example, an executive on a junior, or a teacher on a pupil, or a doctor on a patient. And I agree with that, but um, let's move on and talk about medicine, Josh, the next slide. In medicine, we are governed and registered by the General Medical Council, and they produce guidelines about appropriate medical uh, practice. Uh, very important guidelines, and we all have to work according to those. Um, and if you go to the next slide, Josh, this, uh, oh, sorry, back one. This is it, talking to patients about personal beliefs. And this is the, the governance that we're under as doctors. Uh, in assessing a patient's conditions and taking history, you should take account of spiritual, religious, social, or cultural factors, as well as their clinical history, diddle. During a consultation, you should keep the discussion relevant to the patient's care. And thirdly, you may talk about your own personal beliefs only if a patient asks you directly about them or indicates they would welcome such a discussion. And then thirdly, I want to hone in on palliative care, which is a very emotive area. Um, and I actually spoke to Deb Daviditis about this before I spoke and just wanted to hear her views. She works in that area. Josh, could we go to the next slide? This is the Scottish Palliative Care Guidelines, which is where palliative care specialists all work uh, to these guidelines. And I can't read that top line. I'm going to have to turn around to do so. But while this guideline focuses on physical symptoms, psychosocial and spiritual issues also need to be addressed to give holistic care. That second sentence is the particular section about it. And actually, that's Deb's question that she asks when she is assessing a patient for palliative care. Very similar, actually, to what I've just given you. Um, and so... I completely agree with these documents and guidelines. If we're in a position of authority, we should not force our personal views on others. We should not put pressure on a patient to discuss or justify their beliefs. Discussions should be relevant and consensual by that both parties are comfortable with it. And we should not impose our beliefs and values. However, I think there's a hundred miles between these statements and concluding that we've got to be silent about religion or faith or even our own faith at work. And I hope I've showed that. Now, 
I'm finishing. This has been a rather medical sermon. I hope you can sort of forgive me for it. Um, But it's what I've lived with, uh, with the last 25 years as a consultant. But I really hope that you might have been able to see some aspects that could be relevant in your workplaces. Um, I don't know, but do you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If not, as Dan was saying to us, we can do that this morning. We can ask him into our lives. Maybe you would love the Holy Spirit to be working in your life more actively, more open. Um, Perhaps there's an area of sinfulness that's holding you back. Is the Rio Neff flowing into into your life? Well, praise the Lord that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or maybe... There are situations in your workplace where you feel you could be creating opportunities to share your faith just a little more actively. Now, I want to finish by reading a letter I got from a patient's relative. Um, This was just a couple of months uh, ago, uh, towards the end of last year. And um, this card followed exactly the sort of consultations I'm talking about. Um, when we just open a question and, and see what happens. And it concerns, actually, the patient was an elderly man, and it's his daughter who is writing to me following his death. And she said, Dear Dr. Johnson, first as a family, we wanted to thank you for the very caring and gentle way you supported and communicated to our very dear dad the news about his illness. Our dad was well loved by all his family and he blessed us all. I also wanted to share the significance and importance of you sharing your faith. After you gave us the news and asked how we felt about the information and I had shared about my faith, this is the daughter speaking, you were then able to share what you also believed. This then, I'm sure, helped to make dad's confession of his own faith much easier. He had always been very private about his beliefs, but this changed after the consultation. He also said, I hope you don't think this is just a bedside conversion. I've always believed in Jesus. (laughs) On the last day he could speak, but was becoming unconscious. He said he could see lots of purple flowers and such an azure sky and trees through the window. There was no window, and certainly no azure sky. But in the midst of losing him, we are all truly thankful and comforted, knowing where he is, and whose presence he is now enjoying. Um, and I, I'm sorry, it's a sad story again, but I hope it encourages us in our workplaces to be open to the empowering work of the Holy Spirit.